Corner on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, broadcasting live from downtown New Haven. We are streaming live on TuneIn Radio and NewHavenIndependent.org and Greenhaven Media. We're also streaming live video on Facebook. Just go to your Facebook.com slash New Haven Independent. You can look us up and hit C first to hear all the great programmings that we have here on WNHHLP. So, welcome to the show. I am your host, Joe Lachance. It is Monday, October the 3rd. We're already into October here. And I am joined by, of course, my co-host, Uncle Lou. Lou Vega, how are you today? Hey, how's it going? Good, sir. Doing well, doing well. You know, another wonderful Monday here in Connecticut. I heard the weather is already getting cold there. Is this true? It is frigid, frigid, brother. It is frigid. (laughs) How does that affect the harvest, Uncle Lou? We have to make sure to get everything out. I know October's Croptober, so, you know, there's a lot of people harvesting. There's a lot of people trying to fight mold. There's a lot of people fighting the elements. Some people got their crops in. It's all up to what you did as an outdoor cultivator uh, in the hemp world. Some people are still doing the harvest thing. Some have already harvested, you know, so it's kind of where now processing starts up, drying, processing, all of those awesome things that come along with that. Um, yeah, I saw that you had your dad up there at the hemp farm. Uh, you posted oh, that. Oh, no, that's actually, that's actually my father's a medical patient. Uh, that was my Instagram there. Yeah, my father's a medical patient, so he's allowed to grow. And because he retired, he was like, hey, I want to grow some plants. So he's got a little bit of land. And since he's got, he's, well, he's got like 10 acres. So he's put a small little garden deep in the back of his backyard. And as a medical patient, he's allowed to grow and he grew his plants. He's in New York, isn't he? Or is he in Connecticut? That was on the Connecticut side. Oh, okay. So great. Great. Good for him. And that's, you know, that's good. If people are medical patients, I wish them all the luck with their their crops this year. And I hope everybody has a great, uh, bountiful harvest. That's Uh, right. (laughs) We talk about homegrown. We talk about cultivation. We talk about all, all avenues of all of that. But the biggest part is, if you do have the right to grow, grow. If you don't have the right to grow, grow. Do what you do. I'm not giving legal advice. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So. <laughs> what you do in your own home is your own business, right? It's yeah, I'm not giving legal advice. So do what you do. Uh, That's it, brother. You know what I mean? Got a couple of uh, news items coming out of the uh, Social Equity Committee again. It uh, looks like they decided to give a second chance to a few of the people who were on that lawsuit. They did not give all the people 
Uh, but one that's for, for a different lawsuit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's tons of lawsuits, I guess. Well, they deserve it. They deserve everything they get. But they uh, they approved like five others that were allowed to resubmit six people, actually. And one of them is very interesting to me is this uh, Missouri based Shangri-La CT. Now, they've already got tons of approval. It says they've already received several approvals from the Social Equity Committee. And they're they're now they're going to even apply for another one. So, I mean, I don't know who this company is, but it looks like they're out of Missouri and they're and they're uh, they have a Connecticut branch. I guess they partnered up with somebody in Connecticut. But to me, this just highlights what we've been talking about on the air here, how like um you know when you sub out these you know your duties to another outside organization they don't necessarily know the market like you might and it looks like the fact that they're giving it away to out-of-state producers giving multiple licenses just shows that they're really concerned about money and they're not really concerned about the residents and the citizens of connecticut getting a chance to get in here. Now I understand that they must have a Connecticut partner. However, to give them like four or five licenses is, is quite a, uh, quite a nice thing they did. Let's put it that way. So um, that's where, so I have, a, so what happened with that? Cause it's not, nobody got a license. It's the lottery. So no right. def- defending anybody there. Those, those licenses were straight out bought. Um, Pretty much. Right. Oh, yeah, the Hartford Current and the Hartford Business Journal put out uh, an article talking about there was somebody who spoke in the Hartford Business Journal's event a couple of weeks back and uh, literally put the numbers out there because it's public information. And uh, the average cost of a license was about $250,000, which was about a thousand lottery tickets. So right. they went into the lottery with a thousand lottery tickets and they mm. weren't the only ones because every license that was won was won by somebody who put a thousand lottery tickets in. Multiples. So that's obviously one of the things that needs to be reformed. Oh, it's a it's a flaw. It's a it's a huge flaw in the system, but that's also where you say, well, why aren't millionaires winning the state lottery every year? They could just buy thousands of dollars of tickets and, you know, well, they, they don't need it. That's why. <laughs> but yeah, and I also no what no matter what, it's a gamble, but it sucks because this, the, the chips were stacked against. I didn't put in any lottery tickets, so that's not yeah. that way. I didn't have the. A, a, I had no skin in that game there, so I we put in zero lottery tickets. And I know a lot of people who who once they did do that, where they opened it up to unlimited purchases, let's say, that they decided not to bother either. Because, you know, a lot of people were thinking, all right, I'll throw in one or two, spend 500 bucks, see what happens. Put in as many as, if anybody wanted to put one in, it's always one in, no matter what, there's one in a chance. Yeah, I mean, you still have a chance. You know, but there's a lot of things that went wrong, like the Section 149 they made it seem like you had to have the money up front beforehand. So put everybody in a different position and those who applied got it and then they weren't able to pay for it. So there's a whole mess of things all around. Um, right. You know, it, 
So that's where we're at with those lottery licenses and everything. They still have to go through approvals. They have a Connecticut partner, but they put in a lot of lottery tickets. Yeah. And it seems like they're done now. Besides the people they let, it it doesn't look like they're going to be given out anymore, except for the people they allowed to put in their second chance. But another thing I just wanted to mention real quickly is that yeah, there's a ahead. lot of lawsuits. There's a lot of appeals. There's a lot of lawsuits against the state. So they're the state's got to deal with that part. Then they're going to do another lottery go around in a couple months. They got to still build out that accelerator program. There's there's a lot of stuff that's happening simultaneously. So uh, there's a lot of hurry up, wait and see, and then uh, you pick where you want to go with that. One thing so, I did see was that Fine Fettel did end up getting approved for six social equity joint ventures. So they have three dispensaries in Connecticut. They're each allowed two. He took advantage of all six of them and he got approved for all six. He hasn't released who his partners are, but he did say they are all Connecticut residents and they are all Connecticut companies. So I like to see who they were. Yeah, well, exactly. That's why, you know, I I give them a little credit for approving them and let's say not approving some of the other equity joint ventures yet, which are have been put in by MSOs. So it's it's just paperwork. That's not even because that's the way they're even going by it. But without even having all the guidance and everything put in place, they're literally just going by small checklists that haven't been established yet that are now being established. There's a whole. It's going to be a while. I mean, when do you think? that we're actually going to see the first retail sales here in Connecticut, not till next year sometime. Correct. Realistically for retail sales, the established market just has to flip the switch. They just need approvals and they can start out. A lot of them have pre-built out the space already um, for just recreational sales, because the way the state's going to separate it is just a tax bracket thing. So the inventory already be in house. The hybrid cultivators were approved, you know, so there was a whole bunch of that stuff going on already. And for that hybrid cultivators, so the medical, they're just literally separating some of the, the harvest for recreation on the other half for medicinal. And then it's just tax taxes on the right. back. end. But that stuff. really, it'll be the same exact shit, that same exact stuff that's on the market right now. It won't be anything from anybody new for another year. Right. Uh, so that, you know, realistically, the first sales are going to come from the same people that we've already got selling here. And we, right. you know, I don't want to get into all that, but we all know what the quality of that is and what the issues with that are. You know what? But maybe there's maybe, some stuff that's OK. There's some there's a lot of stuff that's not. You know, yeah, you I, through, there's hundreds of strains on there and there's a lot of strains that are actually, you know, some of them are really good. Some of them are really bad. Then sometimes it's how it was grown. Right. Uh, it's hit or miss, basically. Yeah, there's stuff you want, there's stuff you don't want. Uh, I've never been a fan of the edibles because of the amount of regulations that go in. The edibles aren't very good. No, uh, I agree. I'd say the concentrates and the vapes are okay. The vapes, I'm not a huge fan of. They still use a lot of old technology or they use a different type. And they're st- they look very low-end manufactured personally is what i believe i think that there are better vapes when you that you see in the legacy market that come from more established areas doing it on a larger scale i also Um, see that they do full grams on the legacy market whereas here in connecticut we still only have half gram 
Right. And a lot of the legacy market is imported from medical states or recreational states on other other places. Right. To say that it's not being done someplace is hard to say because you can get a cart. Um, that's a generic term for a vape cartridge, but you can get a cart for 15, 20 bucks in Colorado and California. And then that same thing is imported here to Connecticut and 60 to $80, you know what I mean? So, right. People make a lot of profit, but still it's a better deal than what you're getting at the dispensary. So, cause so you're getting double. That, that's that back and forth. So I'm really looking forward to the Connecticut marketplace opening up and having yeah. more options with the new cultivators and with the new, the new right. options ultimately. But meanwhile, we keep doing what we're doing, right? <laughs> and, and so does everybody else. And, Yep, I will keep growing hemp and doing hemp. That's that's my lane these days. So, um, good, good. We got our guest here, but real quick, I did want to um, go over one event that's happening this weekend. It is the High Lifestyle Show. If you got nothing to do this weekend and you want to go see some good music and meet Cheech Marin, uh, and there are a few other people going to be there. Uh, the Whalers are going to be uh, performing. Uh, I believe there's going to be a couple of other celebrity type people there, and it's going to be a great three day event, 30,000 square feet, indoor, outdoor gathering of cannabis brands, retailers, distributors, growers, artists, performers and consumers converging at a private resort hotel. So if you want to do something this weekend, you want to take a ride up to Boxborough, Mass, that might be something uh to check out you can find info on that at highlifestyleshow.com are you going up lou uh that sounds interesting that might be something that i might have to do it's always that and i love talking about this because that's what cannabis tourism is you know um individuals in the cannabis space people who are cannabis enthusiasts usually choose to spend money in towns that embrace the culture that we all enjoy so it's something that will bring tax dollars and spending dollars from from out of state to these local areas. So it's always nice when a town embraces and you're able to do things. But um, that might be I do. Cannabis tourism, it's, it's what I love to do. I know well, our guest is very interested in that. Maybe we can chat with her a little bit about that because I certainly live in a place that is very, very open to cannabis tourism and be a great place to start doing something. But we'll talk a little bit about that. So right now on the show, we have with us a very good friend of the shows, Kara Crab Burnham. And Kara began a career in cannabis in Massachusetts in 2009 as a community leader and activist. Her first role was the co-founder and board member of the Emerson College Students for Sensible Drug Policy. So we had Jason on last week, and I know uh, that Kara is also alumni of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, and maybe we can talk to her if she's still active in that group. But we went; she went on to coordinate several other SSD chapters throughout New England, and she also took on the role of the uh, co-host of the Boston Pot Report on UnregularRadio.com, and she was a host on a radio show, too, so she's done what we do. Then she started the Boston chapter of the Normal Women's Alliance. She was uh, the Mass uh, MCRC, the Massachusetts Cannabis Reform no, Coalition. This is getting long. Yeah, you did give me a long bio, Kara. Anyway, we worked. I just so let's I smoke weed and I tell people about it. Okay, so let's start from there. Kara <laughs> smokes weed. 
She tells people about it. She's had a lot of different positions in history. She worked with MassCan. She worked with the Northeastern Institute of Cannabis. She works now, currently, let's go with what she currently does. She currently is the owner and the sole proprietor and president of CCB Consulting. And you are also still, I'm sure, on the board of Elevate Northeast. Correct? Yes, I am. Uh, And Boston Cannabis Week. And Boston. Oh, let's chat about that, Carrie. You just came off that and I... I can see it looks like uh, it looks like that you um, are not on camera right now, just your name. <laughs> but yes, we are on camera on Facebook. That's uh, we are on camera on Facebook. So there you are. It's always lovely to see you. And uh, you just came off Boston Cannabis Week. How was that? I know you did a whole day of education over there, but I'm sure you participated in all the other things that went on that week. So that was a whole week for this. (laughs) You think you are (laughs) too old for this. You give me far too much credit with, uh, SSDP. Um, I, I definitely worked with many chapters in my, during my tenure, uh, with students and I, and I have deep love and respect for SSDP, but I am not super active with them at the moment. I am very excited about their new campaign um, yes. to get Biden to do what he uh, said he was going to do. So I am very excited to support that campaign as much as I can in the roles I currently have. But yeah, um, that's where it all started. It was a school thing. Um, and now I run my own business, which is really cool. Um, and I get to work with, uh, operators that have achieved, um, provisional license at the CC with the CCC in Massachusetts or other states. And I help them navigate that, that regulatory space, um, between, you know, I'm going to, I'm actually going to have a cannabis business to. I'm operating a cannabis business um, because, you know, you you have your building and you have your permissions to do it. But there's not a ton of people who then sort of know exactly what to do next. What's um, my next step? Right. Yeah. And there are many and there are and then it changes. And then and then you get a new investigator and they are a specialist in something else that they're going to focus their inspections on. Um, it's it's the. Fun. It's fun, but I get fun. to work with all these different. I get to work with all these different clients and uh, different areas of the industry. I did. I never saw myself, you know, working heavily with cultivators and manufacturers. And yet now I'm working on recipe development for one group and um, outdoor cultivation policies for another group, and uh, you know energy compliance for Arc Review for another group. And so this is, you know, it's. It, you know, I, I, I was just I was just pissed off that we were arresting people for smoking pot. And now and, and it and it just got out of hand. It did. It did. There's <laughs> still a lot of people in jail. Now, you've been you've been active in getting legalization done uh, up in Massachusetts from the beginning. I remember 
when they were first well, not trying the to... beginning no 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 cannot no no it was not in the beginning i i joined this community circa 2009 and there have been people fighting for the legalization of marijuana for well before i was born uh, this no, is no, no, true no. i was not in the beginning and not i am a the... historian <laughs> okay so let's let's put it another way when the camp when they were actually were getting serious about putting legalization on the ballot you were a big part through the school and through what your work with mass can in a getting the petition signed so it could get on the ballot and then b getting the word out to people to vote yes on the ballot and you did and and, and it was you know it was a very educational experience for me it actually motivated me and inspired me to go do the same thing in connecticut so i got to give my time up there at the Northeastern Institute of Cannabis, um, a lot of credit and the time I spent with you and people like uh, Bill Downing and, you know, all the other people that were up there that had been doing it for years, like you say, learning from them and getting that experience and then coming down to uh, coming down to Connecticut and trying to take what I learned up there and apply it down here. And of course, you know what happened here. We did eventually get legalization. And I sure you heard Lou and I conversing at the beginning about the dip. What is the differences between the way Massachusetts licensed their cultivators and their dispensaries as compared to what you see in Connecticut? Because what I see in Connecticut is a hot mess and not that it wasn't a hot mess up there. But it was a different kind of hot mess. Different kind of hot. We're all in our own flavor of bullshit. Every one of our little states. Sorry, but I don't know if I want to say that. (laughs) We're all in our own little flavor of cockamamie that we have to deal with um, in all our different states with all of our different sets of rules and regulations, and and it's all going to go topsy turvy if the federal government ever has anything to say about it. So, um, you know, I'm just here for the roller coaster ride that is the cannabis industry. But speaking of like the the old days. you know, I, I was just thinking about, you know, NIC and how many people we saw from the activism community before 2012 and how how many people and who specifically has made that crossover to the legal industry successfully. Right. And it's really interesting the people that I thought were like, oh, once legalization hits, that person's going to just take off. We're all going to be in their dust or, you know, like somebody that, you know, that was instantly successful once the regulations changed. Um, I was thinking about like how many people we've interacted with over the years. Uh, you know, we had over 600 students at the school throughout its tenure. Um, so it was it was a lot. You know, and a lot of them are are really pioneers and and, yeah. and making moves in the industry now. So I mean, that just kind of proves that education is where it all starts. Because you and I both know some of these people that came in who are now in the industry had no experience in the cannabis industry whatsoever. Uh, they went through the program, you know, and then came out with their certificate or whatever. And I think. That gave them a certain leg up and a certain credibility out there when they were applying for jobs and looking for opportunities or looking to start their own business, because it was something that you could put on your resume. And honestly, you did learn a lot. I mean, these people really came out with a a really broad knowledge. Now, not necessarily of all the details, 
of the cannabis industry in general, from soup to nuts, from the history, the science, the growing, dispensary, medical, everything. We covered everything. They knew what they were getting into enough to be able to to effectively navigate the industry as it as it was growing. And that's right. really all we could offer at the time. I think I think we had the best program running. Uh, I do. I do I, agree. And I even get to still teach with some of our former faculty. Uh, I just taught a class with Ellen Brown this weekend. Oh, I love her. I love her. Um, we get yeah, she taught a class for the Holyoke Community Program, uh, Holyoke Community College Cannabis um, Education Center, the CEC. And uh, we've been running that program for two years. Lou was also one of our, I was one of the guest speakers this weekend to Ellen's class. Lou was a guest speaker this weekend. So grateful for you to, to entertain our Very students again. As well. Very great. It's so fun. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, I, so I keep doing the same thing. I just do it in a different ways, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, you've, you've evolved into uh you know, with Elevate, you you actually helped uh, Holyoke Community College put in a cannabis yeah. curriculum. You designed it, you you facilitate it, and you teach it. Is this something that you want to do with other schools? Because I know there's schools in Connecticut, uh, the University of New Haven, I believe Central is also going to do a cannabis program. I if- <laughs> I, I love doing this program, but I don't see this program going anywhere. Whether or not I've, I have any plans to expand it, I feel like I don't. Um, I, I love being able to focus on my students and have the group. I think that the Elevate Scholarship Fund is going to go through a big expansion um, and very soon, and we're going to be able to start offering scholarships um, at more programs around the country, which is something we really want to get more focused on. But this particular program, I don't, it's a, it's a lot of work. And there's only so many of me, Julia and Ellen. I mean, there's just so many of us. (laughs) Right, right. There's not a lot of people who go out and teach. It's a 12 hour weekend where you are in front of your computer with your students um, and four guest speakers. And it's, it's, it's a, so that's like a crash course. It's, it's like a complete crash course. Almost. I know it's similar to what we taught, but it's kind of condensed. It's, it's so condensed. It is not, oh my God, we used it. We had four hours on just history. We had 16 hours on just cultivation with four hours on how to design a grow room. I mean, we had 20 hours in cultivation and right. I right. don't ha- I have 12 hours to go through a lot of material. No, there's not. It's just yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> it's no, not I think the, the longer the longer one is what may may work a little bit well in a uh, college situation where you could yeah. get it done in a semester, you know, like you could take it. For you know what really semester. if you want to talk about cannabis education, at least in Massachusetts, I'll tell you what we really need to figure out is why. Why is the CCC regulating responsible vendor training when we have a Department of uh, Professional Services Development? What is it called? Deep, deep uh, licensure, Department of Professional Licensure. And they license things like bartending schools and um, casino gambling, massage schools, and all that, yeah. Mail tax, et cetera, et cetera. They do this. This is what they do. They know what a syllabus is supposed to look like, they know 
what material is supposed to be in there. They know how you're supposed to delegate hours and what percentage of hours go to things. The CCC needs to let, in my opinion, the RVT program go and give that, give a set of goals to the Department of, of what's the name of the Licensure, Professional Licensure, DPL, and get that, you know, get, get them sorting out that program and certifications, which will, because the RVT programs is a race to the bottom right now. They've got the $20 RVT, the $50 RVT, whereas people who are, you know, trying to build small businesses off of this industry, it, you can't compete with that. Right. Like you're looking at there, you know, you can, all you have to do is pop a video up online. How do you know they're paying attention? How do you know they're taking notes? How do you know they're getting any of this? They let it play in the background. And, and then, then they, they say they completed it. Watch TV or play video games, whatever. Yeah, they check the box. Oh, yeah, I completed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And that's not, it's not good education, not safety education. We had a death in the state. We had a death in our state. I heard I about that. Somebody inhaled cannabis dust. Yeah, that's yeah. horrible. If you had, if you had good education on this sort of thing, then the employee would have had the knowledge to say, I'm not doing this job in this space. And yeah. things like airflow and the products you're using are things that we would teach at NIC and that yeah. you would know better than to like allow that situation to happen to you. Obviously it's not this person's fault that, that they died. This is neglect from the company in my opinion, but I'm not a yeah. lawyer. But like something needs to be done. We need to have better education. Putting this in the control of an organization that manages education is gonna have a better art outcome than having it be a mandatory add-on to a regulatory interface that's already exceptionally overwhelmed. Right. Lou, that's I wanted to bring you in on this. Now, you, uh, again, Kara mentioned that you taught this weekend, and I know that University of New Haven, your alumnus, uh, is putting a program together. Have they contacted you to get involved with that at all? Um, they have. So, oh, they have. So will you be involved with that? Is this something? Uh, uh, I don't know. You know, it's a little early to talk about, but what they did was very similar to what a lot of states did. Uh, Green Path out of California, I believe, is the mm. company. Just Green Flower? A, uh, Green Flower. I appreciate Green that. Flower. They're everywhere now. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's the reason I don't see my program expanding. They can do right. it cheap and easy. Yeah, the, it's a it's something that is literally just being mass produced throughout the states, to, and they've targeted universities. They do a split financially, so even going to you know you're getting a class from the University of New Haven, but you're not getting a class from the University of New Haven. You're getting a green flower um, certificate and paying an absorbent amount of money. Um, you know, I think they are charging five grand the class for the for the course, which is you know that split basically between the university and the program and it's it's business, and it's just a generic program that has nothing to do with our state's cannabis program. It's got nothing to do like if you took this course and expected to succeed in Connecticut. Yeah, not you're not. Yeah, you're gonna get the so, basic. Thing that you could so probably get on youtube that's where a lot of the schools are now starting at and they're starting with that portion and they're starting to understand that that's not being an educational institution that's not the best model for what they were doing especially some of the larger name more expensive university unh is, is a great school it's my alma mater it's what it wasn't cheap at all 
but they, you know, I believe that they're going to start, lo- hopefully they'll start looking into doing an in-house program. Um, well, that's what I think. And that's, yeah. So once again, it's all conversation as it's moving and none of that stuff moves fast. Uh, Kara could tell you <laughs> none of that stuff moves fast and it's, yeah. it's bureaucracy and red tape and it's all on a local small school level and then on a regional level and going back and forth and, but yeah, so University of New Haven, I know, is embracing the educational opportunity. And obviously, it's an opportunity to make money. Everybody yeah. is looking for a way to make their own entry into the cannabis space. And educational institutions are going to do the cannabis classes. Right. There's now, a lot of good programs. There's some pharmaceutical right. programs. There's some master's medical programs for nursing and education professionals. There's um, th- th- there's 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 some good programs out there for you know learning about cannabis and getting that accredited degree if that's what you're looking for but frankly when it comes to cannabis your best experience is going to be doing it so i didn't tell what all what i tell my students every every class is if you want to own a you want to own a social consumption go manage a coffee shop you want to get into cultivation go get a job as a trimmer if that's all you can get and then work your way through you want to right. learn about it? Go, go do it. You think you're, you think you're going to run a cannabis business someday? Go be a butt tender. Go ahead. You tell me this is, do you do that for a year and tell me you still want to run a dispensary and you definitely will run a dispensary. You will. Right. Right. You, you can do it. You just have to sh- go try it out. And some people like they try one job and they go, Oh, you know, I really thought I wanted to be a trimmer, but you know, I want to work with the patients or I can't wait to get into the lab. I got a real, I got a passion for gummies, you know, right. and they find themselves and what they love through trying different jobs in the dispensary. So, Right. Right. And, and luckily up there in Massachusetts, you guys do have dispensaries open. You do have cultivation facilities open, but you still, there's still a group of activists out there that are fighting for what I would say is cannabis reform now to reform the laws, find out where the mistakes were made. And you've made some progress, haven't you? You got delivery services put in, which was not in the original bill, which was here in Connecticut. How um, I know um, social consumption lounges is something that you guys are working on. But there's also been a lot of finagling up there again with the MSOs, trying to control the industry. Certain companies have played some dirty tricks up there. And this is what I want people to know is this is something you can expect in Connecticut as well. And and we've already seen it start to happen. So it's it's not a it's a question of you constantly have to stay on the lawmakers. It's and a living document. Laws are living documents. They and they they're they're constantly changing. And, and the thing is, you cannot let the legislatures of the state make the decisions. You, you know, the activists and the advocates have to be able to put in their two cents and 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 put in what they want. Otherwise, you're going to get a crappy legalization bill and, and laws uh, because we saw this in Connecticut. We really didn't get any progress on equity or home grow or any of that until the activists actually took it into their own hands and wrote half the law for the the state. You know, we literally, there was a committee of activists who got together and said, here's what it should be. 
And, and luckily they took most of the recommendations from it, not all, but it was a huge fight here just to get home grow, uh, you know, and some sort of equity in there. And, and I know in mass, because it was in 2016, that wasn't even really addressed in the original Massachusetts laws. Oh, our medical law? Oh, God. Our medical law bans people who have cannabis criminal convictions from working in the industry. The oh, so does ours. So does ours. <laughs> so and stupid. they didn't change that for REC. I don't know if they changed it oh. for REC with you. Oh yeah, we fixed that with REC. And in, in our equity program, um, you are encouraged to um, include a certain amount of people who have been previously incarcerated or family members of those previously incarcerated. Um, you're expected to hire from that pool right. of candidates. Um, but you know what's uh, a, a, a little known issue with the Massachusetts equity laws um, I haven't seen really anybody talking about, and I only recently became fully aware of the situation, but um, our licensing structure uh, allows for a, what is a micro business, which is right. up to 5,000 square. This is a social equity license. You have to have social equity status to apply for the license. Then you can sell the license to whomever you want at any point once it's acquired. Once you are in provisional, it's you can sell it. So, um so this license is up to 5,000 square feet of canopy, up to 2,000 pounds of um, material brought into the facility annually. And it includes a manufacturing um, cap uh, capacity as well as a delivery capacity for those who opt into it. So a micro a mic the one micro business license contains um, cultivation, manufacturing and delivery when applied for by an uh, uh, economic empowerment or social equity status applicant. And so once you have this business running and successful, you have no way of expanding it. There is no mechanism to take your 5,000 square feet and make it a 10,000 square feet. There is no mechanism to change your manufacturing license to an independent manufacturing license so that you can purchase more than 2,000 pounds of processable material every year. So you're completely, so this equity license is full stop capped for growth. Oh. And because an equity applicant has to own 51% of that company and you can't own other licenses when you own an, a micro business license. You are not allowed to apply for other licenses, which means that as an applicant, when you go to put in your application for, let's say you want to, you're like, okay, well, I have this micro business that's going really well. I want to expand to a tier three, which is, somebody can tell me I'm wrong, some 20,000 square feet, maybe, I think, canopy that you can grow. They can't apply for it because you have to attest that you don't have a social equity or economic empowerment held license that you have to own for 51% of. So you can't apply for any other licenses if you have micro business license. You can't oh. expand a micro business license. You can't, you you can max out that license and then you can, and, you, and who buys a maxed out business? Nobody. They Nobody want a business buys that a business can expand, can't yeah. yeah. So, you're, so you're stuck with an asset that you can't even do anything with. Like this is a problem that I don't think enough people are talking about. Because these well, micro businesses are are coming in hot, and it, they're going to be ready in the next like couple of years to turn it around, and there's maybe nothing to do with it. 
that's another yeah, that's, case of where you gotta go reform it. You have to reform it, you know. Constantly. And you don't like, know what you're missing until you realize it's missing with this kind of stuff sometimes. Yeah, and here you are six years after the law actually passed, and you're still working on refining and changing the laws so that they are more equitable and you know better for the people who are trying to get and this is what connecticut has to look forward to you know i I, people think that the work is done it's never done and i know you probably have backed off a little bit on the activism part to concentrate on your business but you're always there as a consultant i see that you um well it depends on how you define activism i suppose true True. I mean, like, I feel like this is my way of continuing activism, even though I'm not in Connecticut anymore. I, I, I'm I, just burnt out with talking to legislators, you know, because they sometimes they just don't get it. And they can be a treacherous bunch themselves. You know, they can tell you one thing and then have their hand in the pocket of an MSO you know, or the lobbyists who are representing the MSOs on the other hand. So they'll tell you one hand on the left hand and the right hand is is grabbing money and, you know, taking perks from MSOs. So, and the, but this is how politics work. And I just kind of got sick of it. I'd rather work within the community, you know, and educate the community through the, through the radio show or through whatever consulting I can do. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's a long game. And people need to understand that. And it's just like, I mean, I'm sure the people who put in legalization in 2016, a lot of them have moved on and there has to be a new crop of activists to come in uh, and and take their place, basically. Well, the the dynamic shifts now that there's financial gain to be had by regulations being formed in an appropriate way. It, it changes. The, 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 the players change from activists to lobbyists. And we just have to really try and support businesses that are owned by people who are trying to do the right thing. I mean, the best thing that any cannabis consumer that's choosing to purchase their cannabis on the regulated and uh, on the permitted market, if you will, then they need to look at who they're buying it from and try to put their money to the owners that are going to have their best interest in heart. Because there's, there's no, if you, if you're an activist for something and then you can make it into a career, your priorities may in, you know, they, they, your, your goals and who you are and how you operate, but are your own, but your priorities and how you align them will shift a little because you see things through a different lens, whether you like it or not. You know, I'm I'm less focused on homegrow right now because I'm, you know, more I'm, I'm more distant from that. But I'm more focused on how to have the right conversations and have education available to people, you know. So your lens switches, I think. And we have to just make sure that the owners of the businesses that we're purchasing from are going to be lobbying for the, you know, the, the issues on the right side of issues that are best for the whole community. Right. Yeah. If you I mean, work for somebody who blatantly says to you, but that would support the whole industry in a really sarcastic, no kind of tone, which I'm not saying has happened to me. 
Yes, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but maybe that's not the place you want to spend your money. <laughs> right. And I think that's what people have to understand that once this is up and running, see who owns the business. There, they did give a couple of a few licenses out to some good Connecticut residents who were active in the in the campaign. I also noticed that they didn't give some licenses out to people who were very active in the campaign. And, and, you know, my thing is, I wonder if that was done, I don't want to say purposely, but do they really want somebody in there who's who might shake it up a little, who might, you know, bring to the forefront some issues within uh, the licensing or within the way the state is handling, you know, they want people who are going to be quiet. You know, the, you know, it doesn't benefit them to have an activist as one of their, their licensees at all, you know. No. And, you know, that's what I start to question when I see the people that they did approve and see the people that they didn't approve. And I look at the people that they didn't approve and at least two or three of them were activists, uh, you know, very heavily in the campaign for legalization. And now you know, because the state has the control, they can shut them out very quickly and put in people who they know are going to toe the line. I just, yeah, Connecticut had a weird, weird system. Now, would your services be available for somebody in Connecticut who's having issues? Yeah, sure. I'm here to help, you know. (laughs) if If it's SOPs and it's, you know, you know, anticipating what a cannabis regulator is going to ask you, then that's definitely in my wheelhouse. Um, yes, I, I mean, I'm familiar with the Connecticut system. It's not a state I've worked too much in, but I did have um, Soulstar um, CEO and I believe COO on two different panels that were hosted by Boston Cannabis Week. And um, the CEO, um, Amanda Rosatano, formerly of Netta, um, who did get one of those licenses, it, well, you know, she was, you know, pretty astounded that all of a sudden she had to come up with $3 million. And she was like, how is this? How is this how equity? Is this, how is this equity? Look, I have to find $3 million <laughs> and I can't give away any of the company. Right. How does this, how, like, we're just, yeah, the Connecticut system is mind boggling. But if you've won your license, and you're ready to figure out what to do next. That's where I come in. Yeah, very good. And I know you've had some success. You've worked with some very successful companies up there and and you've done a lot of great things. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of companies that you're working with now who will probably see online very soon. So, oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a good thing that there are people out there like you who would take would rather take their experience and teach others and help others rather than, you know, I noticed you didn't go for a license. You easily. Oh God, no. (laughs) Right. You don't want to deal with that. And that's the same reason I didn't, I didn't want it. But if there's somebody who wants to, you know, Hey, and they might need a little guidance, might need a little help. You're always there. And, you know, I could say the same thing for me with the activists, you know, although I may not be active anymore, you know, as, as much as I used to be, I'm always here for advice so if there are some new activists out there who want to say, how do I deal with these freaking legislators? What's the best way to talk to them? I can give you some tips and tricks, you know, for sure. And I'm sure Uncle Lou the same, you know. But um, 
I wanted to bring up, we, we brought up earlier, and one thing that you always told me uh, was that you, your ideal goal would be to get into cannabis tourism, that you were, you were really interested. Luxury and luxury services. Yeah. <laughs> so is that something that you, you might be pursuing in the future? Because I'm seeing it start to happen. You know, I um, I think the license type that I dream of is a um, is a social consumption license um, or some type of social consumption. I don't want to own a cigar bar by any stretch of the imagination, but um, you know, possibly you know, spas kind of thing. I don't know. <laughs> Good idea. Um, I would love to do cannabis cruises. That would be awesome. But I'm on the. <laughs> I'm on the, you know, I, in Connect and uh, Massachusetts at least, I'm uh, I'm not really eligible to do that for an incredibly long time, so <laughs> I will, will I will wait patiently until it is my turn to be allowed to apply for a social consumption license. Right, 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 and we're still waiting on that in Connecticut, but that's another thing we have to. Uh, that's know, an work. equity license for us. That's going to be once the first. Oh, there's something about certain amount of counties or towns in Connecticut need to, or in Massachusetts need to keep looking at you guys thinking about Connecticut. Um, they need to opt into a social consumption license type and set up a, you know, a, you know, a set of restrictions, regulations for those businesses and zone it. Then once all of those are set up, they'll do an experimental review. Once the first one is open, which must be held by a uh, social equity applicant. Um, then three years after that, the license type may open up and it may be extended. I know that there's um, there's there's lobbying happening to extend the three year period. So as an, uh, you know, as just me, I don't think I'd be eligible for a while to apply for that license type. But right. I would love to work. What do I tell my students? I will work with all the social consumption licenses and the spas and the coffee shops, and I will help them prepare their SOPs. And I'll know all about how to do it by the time it's it, that I am able to. So I'm going to do right. whatever I can to keep focused on, you know, the goal. Right, right, right. Now, one thing I want to bring up, and I got Lou on now. Um, are, you, are you unionized up there? Can I get our Massachusetts? Yeah. No, yeah, uh, no. We, there, there are, there is unionization in Massachusetts. It is not part of our, um, like Rhode Island has a, you know, mandatory labor uh, agreement clause. We do not have anything like that, but the unions are here. Um, that was something we brought up in our HR conversation at Boston Cannabis Week last week. And you can see all those conversations on the Boston Cannabis Week YouTube channel. If you're curious, there were, six panels and we did an HR conversation. Um, and one of the things that we did talk about towards the end was uh, how many people have been approached by the union in Massachusetts to be a union head for their company. Now, Lou, is unionization required in Connecticut? Is that something that is required or is it just heavily encouraged? Uh, for the section 149, it was required. It was, okay, but not for necessarily all the others. Uh, I, I didn't really look into it too much, but I believe that unionization is part of the final um, requirements after. So going through your provisional, you get your provisional through the license, through the lottery. 
And then during your provisional, you have to, like Kara said, that's when you start actually going through the whole process, get your zoning, get um, building, build your facility out. You have to be active within 14 months. Um, so you get 14 months to go from that provisional to a final review. And then from there, you have to have workforce development plan. You have to have labor plans. You have to have community development plans. All that stuff's part of it. And union is one of those checkboxes in there. And I know Connecticut was going to set up some workforce training. Uh, are they at, where are they at with that at all? Are they just, um, the workforce training in Connecticut, they, so the professional development was, uh, reset won that license reset Hartford. And then the state required them to partner with Oaksterdam. So oh. Oaksterdam won the, I guess Oaksterdam won the partnership while they gave it to one of the local companies to be to run Oaksterdams. It's a they have to they, they have to figure all this out. But that's ultimately that's what was put out there that Oaksterdam and Reset were the partners on that. Oaksterdam and Reset. That's interesting. Oaksterdam they have a good reputation. So yeah. I mean, yeah, there couldn't be probably a better one that you could team up with if you were gonna it would have been nice if they approached some other people who had been involved in education before, but you know, that's pretty. Yeah, I know. believe that they could Those have people are so local. busy, Joe. Those people are so <laughs> busy. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> but Kara, we're running, believe it or not, we're running towards the end of the show. I did want to, before we got off the air, congratulate you uh, on your recent nuptials. And I hope everything is great and I hope everything's going well. And please say hello to Dash for me. Uh, it's been Will a long do. time since I've seen him. But He's I'm very, six in a couple weeks. Wow. And it's been a wow. I remember when he was born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. It's been a while. So that's great. And much congratulations. I hope everything, you know, is, is great in the future. But tell us how we can get a hold of you. What's the best way to reach you if somebody wants to, uh, you know, obtain your services? Uh, you know, yeah. give us the whole rundown. So uh, you can always reach me at Kara at ccbconsultingllc.com. You can find out more about me at ccbconsultingllc.com. It's in my name right there on the bottom of the screen if you can see me. Um, and uh, yeah, so if you have, you know, interested in something about Elevate, please email me Kara elevate.org. Um, you can find out more about uh, Elevate and um, on our website, on our Facebook, um, Boston Cannabis Week. I don't have an email for Boston Cannabis Week, but um, email me at CCB. I will be able to get back to you. Um, that's a great time, which we didn't even talk about, which was all last week. It was, it was, was crazy. I, There's so many events. BCW. Will you be? Will you be going to? Yeah, I wish we'd do one of the things like that in Connecticut. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, but we will. I'm again, we're a little bit behind you guys. You guys got five years on us as far as legalization goes. And and look, you got a rich history up there besides, you know, you've always had the freedom rally, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the activism community up there. Are you still involved in that or no? No, not involved with Masscan these days, but they are still killing it. I, they had their rally right before BCW. Um, I September was crazy. I got married on Labor Day. And then we had a week's worth of Boston Cannabis Week. And so 
just been busy. Time for a break. Time for a break and work on your clients. But it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Kara. I hope to see you down here for NECAN in May. Please apply to be a speaker. I would definitely like to have you on the program for sure and get the whole crew from Massachusetts down to Connecticut involved in that. I'm there. All right. And will you be attending the High Life show this weekend? Uh, This, no. I was not attending the High Life show this coming weekend. I know what you're talking about. Um, It looks like it's going to be a really good time. Yeah, it should be a good time. And that's put on by NECAN as well. But I think we are about out of time. Lou, do you have any final words for us? How to be just everybody enjoy life. Stay happy, healthy and high and keep pushing forward, everyone. Thank you so much, Kara. I appreciate you so much. Appreciate uh, you. Working together as always. Absolutely. Thank you so much for teaching this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. It's so good to see that Lou is still out there teaching the classes. Maybe we can get some more going in Connecticut sometime when uh, the community is a little bit more together. But um, <laughs> yeah, we have issues down here. All right, no, we're we ready. all got issues, Joe. <laughs> I know you had big fights up there too when legalization came in. The same thing happened up there. Mascam basically fell apart. But <laughs> just like fine. normal did, just like normal did. But it's fine <laughs> now. It's fine now. <laughs> All right, Nora, we're ready to go. You can play that music whenever you're ready. Thanks, Joe. Good to see you. Always Bye, good guys. to see Have you. Have a great one. Always good to see you. There we go. Kara, thank you so much. Miss you. I miss you so much. You got to come to Puerto Rico. I do. I do. We'll have a blast. Come on, y'all. Check it out. I could have cheated and I could have passed, but I got high. I'm taking it next semester and I know why. Why, man? Yeah, because I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. Go to the next. Go to the next. Go to the next.